brought to you with the natural goodness of Viridian Nutrition, available at Browns. I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. This is the last in The Interviewer season two. With 74 shows to date, it's time to take a small break before coming back with a very exciting new season in September and a very exciting brand new show as well. New channels, new show, and a whole load more. All of those details will be coming out on the Facebook page, The Interviewer, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Interviewer, to make sure you don't miss anything. But... To finish season two, I decided to play with fire. And I've got two guests on the show with one theme. My first guest is the managing director of CC Bill EU and CC Bill SRB, which are pretty ir irrelevant, to be quite honest with you, because I know Adrian Camilleri as the crazy guy who runs up and down the bitching hill at the back of Gargua just for fun. I recently spotted Adrian doing this, drenched in sweat, and he tells me that he's training for an event in Lofoten, Norway. I've probably not pronounced that wrong, and I'm sure he'll correct me. I ask him to come on the show, and a few weeks later, he messages me in the middle of the night to tell me that he's dropped out of this ultra with a DNF, did not finish. Did I still want him on the show, he asks. Yes, I said, and I'll explain exactly why in a minute. But in the same week, I presented the Challenge Malta Triathlon. And as one man, man crossed the finish line, everyone went crazy around me. This was the first Maltese man to finish the race. I, on the other hand, went crazy because Josef Bonavir was winning his categories wearing a pair of aviator Ray-Ban sunglasses. When I asked Josef about his current winning streak, he told me that it wasn't so long ago that he smoked like a chimney and drank like a fish. And that, to me, seemed like a good theme for a show. So I wanted these guys to team up to explain their passion for their relative sport, not from an elite perspective, but from a real human perspective and making success relatable. I'm so glad you guys are here, Adrian. <laughs> Thank you. And Yosef. And Yosef, you actually do have glasses with you, don't you? Yes. Show me, show Always me the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to put them on if you want. It's really good to have you here. And I'm going to start, Adrian, because you're a bit of a talker. I'm going to start with Yosef. Uh, your discipline is triathlon, is Ironman. So what is that? Uh, Ironman is a 3.8-kilometer swim, 180-kilometer bike, and 42k-kilometer marathon run. You have to do it all on one go. Some people just do it for fun to finish the race. So they've done an Ironman. And some people do it for time, Sometimes, some people do it to win age groups and get overall and the highest position age group. Um, myself, I compete as an age group, not as a pro. Okay, but why do you do it? Uh, I, that's definitely, I don't know <laughs> why. 
and how it all started. Uh, but I have a story how it all started. Well, we're going to come to how it all started because I, I, I'm intrigued. I'm absolutely intrigued. But before we get to how it all started, how many of these have you done? Because I saw that recently you're in Belgium and you're in Dubai. It seems that you, you're doing this quite often and it seems like you're doing them quite often all over the world. Yes, uh, I travel uh, all around the world. I have done uh, 36 up till now, 36 half Ironmans and uh, 12 full Ironmans up till now. That's in a span of six, around six years. 36 I... half and 12 full and you still don't know why you're doing it? No. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I really like the sport and I really like competing. Um, I had bad races. I had really good ones. Um, I won age groups. I qualified for World Championship. Uh, for half Ironman, I qualified about six, seven times f- for the World Championship, but I only been once, which was in South Africa, about four years ago. And at last, uh, my goal when I started triathlon, it was a dream to qualify for the World Championship, the Ironman World Championships, which is held in Kona every year. And... Uh, after a really hard training and years training for this, last year I managed to qualify twice actually and uh, two races. And the problem is it got cancelled four times. Oh since, my uh, gosh! Because of COVID. Because of COVID, but this year it's going to happen hopefully in October. Fantastic. Uh, Look at you, you've got a big smile on your face. Yes, but uh, you, you said was, uh, I've been dreaming of the, <laughs> that moment. <laughs> I don't know. So that was your goal. You went into to an Ironman yeah. saying, I want to go to the World Championships. But you just mentioned there's a story about how you got into it. How did you get into this? Um, sports, I started, when I was young, I, I was really into sports. I used to play soccer, and, but then I had to stop because I started work with my father, which was our own business. I had to stop that because games day were on Saturday and I had to wash cars and everything. So I had to... Then I started with BMX, which is was a lot of, uh, which was very flexible, so I could train anytime. Actually. BMX has in the bikes because it's an individual sport. Then uh, when I uh, was eighteen, I started going out and started smoking everything, um, like every teenager does actually. But I went to the next level on that <laughs> in that area. Um, I used to work uh, long hours also, and I was a big chain smoker. I used to smoke about five, six packets a day. Um, um, sorry, what? Five, six packets a day. It's crazy, but it's true. I, I mean, listen, I was, with all due respect, I thought I was a heavy smoker. I used to smoke 30 a day. Five or six packets yeah, a day? <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. Wow, I mean, just, okay. You're going to tell me how, but oh, I don't know about you, but that whole idea of you going from that to what you're doing now, how did you go from there? Um, to jump, uh, then I got married after and uh, I had a big, a big accident when we moved to this new house. I fell uh, more than two stories because it's high ceiling house. And it was a new house and the railing has, did not arrived yet. You know, the Maltese way, it's coming, coming, coming. <laughs> Always with <laughs> delay. You saved my yeah, friend. Yeah, so... Absolutely. 
absolutely. So we just were after we came back from the honeymoon and we moved to this house. Uh, I woke up. My intention was to go to the bathroom, but uh, I ended up going out the balcony and I fell more uh, two stories straight into the street. And I don't know what happened. Actually, I ended up in hospital. And, this um, is straight after your honeymoon. Yeah, about yeah, after a month and a half, something like that. Yeah. It's not, and uh, I broke all my bones. I had, was about five months in a wheelchair. At first, the first week, it was bad, actually, because I, I did not know if I was going to walk again or not. And, and that's it. And then, uh, actually, I was lucky enough that I recovered quickly from all this. After five, six months, I was walking again and back to work and everything. So, sorry, hang on a second. How long ago is this? Uh, that's going back... Uh, 50, I got married 16 years ago, 16. So it's not that long ago. Uh, it's quite, yeah, 16 years okay. ago. Okay, so you managed to get back to work? Uh, yes, I got back to work and started again working and drinking again and uh, and smoking. All, uh, even when I had the accident, I used to smoke so and drinking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so so then how did you from there how you've gone uh, back into working yes, you've had then, this uh, we had a daughter after four years and i always wanted to slow down with work when i uh, after uh, when i was 30 years old and i remember we were passing this bicycle shop and i told my wife stop me here right away my daughter at the back just stopped me on the side and to enter this bike shop I know the guy of the bike shop because I used to buy a lot when I was in, during the BMX The days. BMX, right, right. And he was surprised seeing me again, actually. <laughs> no uh, doubt. Yeah, he recognized me straight away. And I just, after just 15 minutes, I just bought this mountain bike. And, and I bought it. And the next day he delivered it to my home. And that weekend I invited friends to my house. Uh, four of my friends. Uh, we done a barbecue, started drinking, of course, and smoking also. And uh, one of us saw this movie. It was the Camino, the way it was, the movie. Uh, they crossed the Camino de Santiago. Okay, yeah, they crossed okay. Spain. And to do it by walk, it takes about six, eight weeks or longer. It depends how fast you walk. And we decided, while we were drinking, to do it by this bike. Because they saw it. <laughs> and these other three friends, they haven't bought a bike yet. So, And uh, we decided to go. And the next two days we met and we decided to book this trip. <laughs> you must have had a hangover, no? Yes, yeah, oh, the hangover, everything. All of us with hangover. But we decided to do it. And everyone watched this movie and everyone was interested to do it. And... Okay, they bought the bike, and I went the, out with the bike to start training, because I haven't been on a bike about 12 years, exactly, because I stopped 18, and uh, I was 30 at that time. And I went this most uphill, and I just... Up, oh, hill. It's not a hill, actually. These days I run it... <laughs> <laughs> But at the time, it was a mountain, right? It is a huge mountain. It was like Everest, actually. <laughs> I just went up this hill and turned left. It was only five minutes on the bike, maybe. And I fainted and <gasps> uh, traffic stopped. And my friends started laughing at me. And 
<laughs> and the next day they were trying to tell me that I'm not fit enough, of course, to do this trip with them and everything. Even they were not that fit, but they were a lot fitter than me. Yeah, yeah, right. Because I fainted, I took me, my wife had to come for me and everything. Even she was going to take me to hospital, I was that bad. Just only five minutes riding the bike, this. And and from then, we had another friend of ours, he was a PE teacher. He told us, don't start that fast training for this. Uh, He told us, go running a bit. And then we went running, I bought this running shoes, and also again, after five minutes, I fainted again. (laughs) (laughs) This is the weirdest superhero origin story I've ever heard in my life. It's brilliant. And then uh, it took off, we started training, but every, say, every break with the bike or that, I used to have a cigarette or something. (laughs) This is so Maltese. It's unreal, isn't it? But even when we went to this Camino de Santiago, every stop or place we stopped to stamp the the passport of the Camino, I used to have a cigarette and and every stage we stopped. We are we used to drink every night. So we done all this Camino de Santiago, drinking and drinking <laughs> everything. So but we done it. And from that it was about nine hundred kilometers and we done it in twelve days. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, no, these days I, I do it, I think, even two, three days, no mind you this. But, but at that time, it was a huge achievement for me. And then I decided to apply for the uh, Malta Half Marathon. And I started running. And there was uh, this person called Manfred, and he used to tell me what to do. Just he used to tell me basic training because it's I only applied two months before, and and the two nights before the morning I went out with friends and I got heavily drunk actually. <laughs> the ne- oh my god! The next day on Saturday, my wife told me don't go to do this half marathon. There are people from my work doing it, and you're not going to finish this one. We told them, no, no, I do it, I do it, don't worry. And we started arguing, we had a fight actually about this. <laughs> and, and I went, he drove me then after a lot of arguments. I woke up on Saturday and I went, of course, with the cigarette, even before the, everyone was doing the warm up and myself with, I have photos of this. So. <laughs> Oh my God. Just five minutes before the race, I, I lit up the well, another cigarette, actually. Uh, and then uh, the marathon, so I went all out in the first game. But I done it all, and I done it in one hour, 42 minutes. That's pretty good. And a lot of people told Dude, that's me... That's amazing. A lot of people told me it's a respectable time for the training yes. you've done, because only, I only trade for this... A month and a half or two, something like that, without a coach or anything. Please tell me you lit up a cigarette at the finish line. After, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a huge celebration after finishing. And it was definitely booze and, as well. Yeah, well, after. <laughs> that was a late night. <laughs> oh, man. And then after... I took a month break of sports, of course. It was a huge achievement for me. And then I started running again. And there was the 5K series 
they do yearly, and I applied for that also. And I, I started from there. Then a friend of mine started with me running also, and he told me he's going to get a coach. And I remember, oh, okay, he's getting a coach, I will get one better than him. I went with this club and I got a coach, um, which was Fabio Spiteri. And I remember going the first session there and I saw on his leg Iron Man. I thought this Iron Man, he was thin and what is Iron Man? I did not tell him actually. And even I went that to the track session, the first session with him, with the cigarette. He told me, what you're doing? <laughs> and, and, and even the people started laughing. But I, I was running really fast. And after the session, I lit up another cigarette and whatever. But then when I got home, I saw this Iron Man tattoo. I checked what Iron Man is. And uh, I was impressed how uh, 3.8 kilometers swim 180k bike and 42k run. I said it's impossible for myself to do it because of work and the time you need to train and everything. And then uh, this after a month or two, he told me why you should start triathlon. I said I told him I don't know how to swim. And I went to the swimming pool with swimming shorts. And I did not have <laughs> everyone <laughs> laughing also at me. <laughs> and he told me, start swimming. I told him I can't swim 25 meters. And I remember starting that bit. I couldn't even swim 25 meters. And about three weeks time, I started swimming. The sprint triathlon was a 7.50 meter swim, 20K bike and five kilometer run. At that time, I even I did not have a road bike also, so I went to buy it two, three weeks before this race. <laughs> and I remember uh, I came nearly last, but not last. That was important, but <laughs> I did not come last. <laughs> and I said, after that, of, of course, again, celebrating after, and uh, you can go over the next day. And I told my wife, I want to start winning these races. She told me, what, you just started, take it slowly. And... I applied for the first half Ironman because my, my coach back then told me you should do a half Ironman. I told him impossible for me to do it from a sprint. To... And then it was about January, January, something like that, three months before the race. And I applied for this half Ironman in Austria, I remember. And I bought this expensive bike and it arrived about a month and a half before this race. And I remember the UPS... The, Delivery man, I was still with the cigarette in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at this box. I, I, that time I spent that, on that bike about 6,000 euros, it was. I was looking at this box and I said, I will quit smoking. That night we had a meal with friends and I remember I had the last cigarette. And the next day I just did not smoke at all. And I started from then. I went to this to this Hawaii man, and and from then onwards, I started going crazy actually. And now you're 36, half Iron Man, and s yeah. seven full Iron Man later. Yeah, but uh, to continue that year also, the first race was a really bad experience actually. I done a really a good race, but in the transition, someone took my my running shoes and just threw it in the tent and I couldn't find it. So I lost about 15 minutes uh, of the race to find this bag. The volunteers were helping me. 
And I was actually happy that I finished my first half Ironman. In a certain way, I was disappointed also because I did not. I lost 15 minutes. I done it about five hours thirty the first half Ironman. And just as a to put that in context, the cutoff certainly for the race that I was. Yeah, it's, it's about eight, 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 eight hours. Eight, eight, eight hours. hours. So five and a half hours is still a really. Yeah, really these days I hold the second best time in Hawaii, man. Why I'm all these? It's four hours then. I broke the record that day, but at that day there was the other Maltese athlete who broke it also on that day. You see, your story has raised more questions than it's answered. And we're going to come back to this common theme in just a second. But your story is absolutely brilliant it's funny it's fantastic and i and we we just i think we're both adrian gobsmack i want to light up a cigarette right <laughs> now <laughs> but i'm going to come to you and then i'm going to come back and and pull these two stories together because adrian as i mentioned when i opened the show i met you through running you run up and down that bit i call it bitching hill the the hill at the back of it's gargour gargour agony hill yeah. i just call it yo bitching hill <laughs> Um, and I've seen you running up and down there, and you're in the same way that Yosef has gone into to ultra events. These are huge sporting events. So do you? But your story is very, very different because you have always done sports. You've always been with a sporting background, and you've always been dedicated to to sports. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Oh, good lord! I started sports when I was. 12, 13, as a junior tennis player, which for a junior tennis player is actually rather old, um, considering my mother had just joined the Master Sports Club and fell in love with tennis and dragged me along for the ride. I couldn't stand it, hated it. You know, when your parents want you to do something, you know, you rebel. Uh, but the following summer, I sort of caught the bug and went down there, played against the wall. I was an incredibly shy child. Forget the you know, playful, boyish exterior. I actually don't believe you, but no, anyway. I was a very shy child. Uh, so I, I, I couldn't say boo to a goose. So all I was doing was playing against the wall by myself for six or seven hours a day. Yeah, when I say I caught the bug, you know. Six or seven hours? Yes, non that's not, that's not catching the bug. That's a little bit compulsive, no? Guilty. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yes, uh, it is. It was incredibly compulsive. But my game improved almost overnight. Well, you'd hope so. It was six or seven hours. Yeah. So what, basically what happened was suddenly I went from being, who the hell is this guy, to, ah, oh, this guy's a very good player. Let's play. And before you know it, you're on the national tennis team. You're traveling all over the place. You're playing tennis to represent Malta. It was wonderful. Um, and from that, I parlayed all of that into a couple of years on the Pro Tour. Uh, don't look at me with all those excited eyes. I was crap. Um, I, w I was okay. I mean, I think I got one or two ATP points. I had a very, very minor ranking. Nothing to write home about. But I used that to parlay into a, a tennis scholarship in America and got my degree and played tennis, uh, traveling all, all, all over the US for that. Uh, came back to Malta, and I'd had all of the, uh, the joy of sports sort of sucked out of me. I played so much tennis. And when I came back to Malta, uh, suddenly everybody was gunning for me. I was, this is going to sound egotistical, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was, at the time, I was the best player on the island. Um, and so my sole job at the time was to be the guy that the up-and-comer beats to know that they're the best player. And I was like, there was no joy in that. There was no fun in that. Um, so I stopped playing tennis. I always said, when I, when I stop enjoying it, you know. 
Um, and then I moved into another sport by complete accident. There was this very, very attractive uh, woman uh, who I was trying to date at the time. I love the way that Yosef is going, yeah, I, I, I identify <laughs> with that. He's going, I get that. That's fine. Um, and she said, oh, let's go and play squash. And of course, the tennis player in me was like, squash, that's just like tennis. This is going to be great. I'm going to kick her ass, you know, you know, flex. I went on court and she beat the living bejesus out of me. And so suddenly I caught the bug. That was it. It was all squash all the time. Then um, my wife and I, I don't know, are you married? Are you married? If yes, you've got kids, right? Yes. So you know this as well as I do. When you get married, your wife goes out, hangs out with her friends, you, and suddenly you inherit a whole new of new friend, a whole bunch of new friends, the husbands, and you all hang out together, and you sort of, you know, sit, sit there with a the beer and go, all right, yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, a lot While of the beer words, and cigarettes. Yeah, beer in and the cigarettes, exactly. Case. Um, so I sort of inherited a whole bunch of new friends that came from my wife's side, except these guys were really cool, and um, we wound up going to the Camino Hotel once a year, every year, just you know, us with the kids and. And one morning, this chap, Patrick, uh, he, uh, he said, come on, we're going for a swim run. Swim run? What the hell's a swim run? Uh, he goes, yeah, well, you just put on your shoes, and we go for a jog, and then we go for a swim. Uh, okay. So we ran down to the Blue Lagoon, and he jumped in the water. I'm like, hold on a minute, I've got to take my shoes off. He goes, no, you don't take your shoes off, you idiot. You jump in. Okay. Jumped in, swam across and back, and then ran to Santa Maria Bay, jumped in, swam across the bay, ran back to the hotel. And um, he gave us this look, so how was it? And I was like, this is great. It was, it was one of the most exhilarating moments. I was like, oh my God, I think I found my new thing, you know, running, this is amazing. I loved every second of it. And since then, boom, it was just all running all the time. And I started running by myself. I found it a very meditative exercise, if you know what I mean. But Yosef's goal is to win and to go to the World Championships. Yeah, that's not mine. Your goal when you were playing tennis was to be the best. Squash was to lose and impress the ladies in that regard. But you're now taking part in these extreme ultras. Is your goal to win these ultras? Because, mm. because the, tell me about the one that you've just been to in Norway. Um, I, oh God, uh, wound up in Lofoten in Norway. It's in the Arctic Circle. Uh, very far north. I think it's like the northernmost inhabited point in Europe. Okay. And uh, it was a hundred miler, and I think I finished. Which about is one hundred and sixty-four four kilometers. kilometers. Yeah, I, I did about, I did about seventy-three, seventy-four before I DNF'd. I had stomach Do issues. Do not finish. Yeah, my buddy Patrice actually had to get rescued by a helicopter uh, up in the mountains. But but if your goal isn't to win, bec what is the goal? We're all going to die at some point. That's an awfully morbid way to start uh, saying this, but I, I don't want to go to my grave with the thought that I didn't live my life to the fullest. Um, I wake up every morning. I get up, there's a certain element of discipline to it because obviously you're running at four or five in the morning, but you're out there and you're breathing the fresh air. You're, you're out there in nature. And the cherry on the cake is that I get to jump on a plane and go and fly to some of the most beautiful places in the world and experience nature in ways that you can only experience it when you're running it. Um, you can't travel there by van. Most of the places I go to, you can't cycle to. You have to run. You have to climb up the mountain. That's where you get the views. When I was in Lofoten just now, I had one of the most exhilarating moments of my life. You know what it was? We, we came across a, a snowbank at the top of a mountain 
And as we're running down the mountain, I noticed that the footprints ended in the snowbank. And I'm thinking to myself, right, I'm seeing people further down the mountain. How the hell did they get down there? And suddenly it dawned on me. <gasps> I parked my ass into the snow and slid down. And uh, my friend Patrice was telling me, actually, you could hear me go, wee, <laughs> you know. Where, where else can you have those kind of experiences? How? Um, so, because this is really interesting, because you guys both have very, very different stories, but you both have a quality of life aspect to it. And I'm going to come back to, to you in a second to, to find out where that point is, where you chose that quality of life. But yours is very, very much about quality of life. Yes. Uh, there's the opportunity for failure at any point. In fact, I dare say I failed... Uh, just as much as I've succeeded, but that's never been a good excuse not to do it. In but you don't mind that? It hasn't put you off? Hell no. I, um, I think I told you before we, we actually started recording, uh, literally within 48 hours of having DNF'd, I'd already signed up for my next race. Um, it, there has to be the opportunity for failure in order for success to mean anything. So uh, and, you and fail, you, you fail, you fail, and then... You wind up succeeding, and suddenly you've created a brand new uh, goal, because once you've achieved that, you set a new one. So your goal in that regard, you do want to finish. You are aiming to finish. You're training to finish. Correct. But you're not going to be put off and stop doing what you're doing if you don't finish. No. I'm, I, I'm like the... The chap at the Oscars who doesn't actually win the trophy but goes, it's just an honor to be nominated. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and you know that they're full of it because they're really disappointed and you can see in their yeah, face. Yeah. But I'm actually genuine. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to see the other runners. There's one thing. I have no idea what it's like for triathlon and, and these other things. But when, when I go to an ultramarathon and I meet the other runners, everybody there supports you. They want to see you finish. They might want to finish ahead of you, but they want to see you finish. Everybody's there egging you on. Uh, there's a sense of camaraderie. It's not competitive in that sense. Um, I dare say the sport will grow and it might become much more competitive over the years. But for right now, it's the kind of sport, uh, it's the kind of environment that's incredibly positive and uh, everybody pulls everybody else uh, along for the ride. And I find that absolutely wonderful and life-affirming. There's nothing like it. But you see, this is, this is the two different aspects, is that... You, Yosef, you've come to, the, to a very highly competitive sport and you're dedicated to it and your goal is to win. You've come to an extreme sport which takes an, as much training, but your goal is to be part of that community and to be able to participate. But one thing that you guys have completely in common is that for both of you, I'm fairly sure that the training must be fairly tough. There must be a lot of time spent running, swimming, yeah, cycling on your side. And, and for you, I mean, particularly uh, for you, Yosef, because you're competing over and over again, month after month after month. And particularly because to, to run a 100 miler, that's not a small venture. So coming to you first, Yosef, surely that must be a huge sacrifice for family, for friends. You're not going out drinking anymore. Is there any point where you're like, well, I don't want to go and train today, I want to stay in bed? Uh, mind you, I train a lot, long hours, but I find time for everything. Um, even going out sometimes, I make that sacrifice, even going out with friends, actually. I do that sacrifice, go 
have a few drinks. Uh, no I still do that. Even no, no cigarettes. But oh, I'm disappointed now. Haven't uh, smoked since my first Hawaii man, which was seven years ago. So. But do your friends understand? Do you do you see your family understand uh, at, the at commitment? At first, my friends, it was like a job from this person going, uh, now uh, finishing work and going out drinking every every day, actually nearly, and to become becoming a sportsman. It was it was a huge jump actually. At first, it was at first it was a joke with everyone actually, even with my wife actually. Then she started sports also. Even I had friends, which they never done sports. Uh, they started doing sports uh, as well. Because they saw me from doing nothing at all. And I started going crazy. In the first year also, when I done the first Hawaii men, after that mistake and everything, I went to another Hawaii men uh, two months after because I wanted the proper time, which I done it. <laughs> And I remember the same the morning before the race, my coach phoned me. He told me uh, apply for a full Ironman. I told him not much left in the season because the European uh, uh, tour is finishing of Ironman. He told me I found one in Mexico, <laughs> and uh, we just uh, and I just applied for this. I told him if I do the the time I want today, I will apply after the race. Actually. I applied actually. I finished the race and I applied for Ironman, full distance. Amazing. Coming to you with the same question that I've just asked Yosef, do you then have to make huge sacrifices? Because to train for a 100 miler, for 164 kilometers, I've seen you running up and down Bitchin Hill at the back of Gargur. That, that's quite some commitment, though. <sighs> More than my own sacrifice, it's a sacrifice that everyone around me makes. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. Uh, I, think, I think I remember reading somewhere that, you know, if you don't enjoy the training, you're never going to enjoy the race because the race is the cherry on top. Uh, so I love running. I enjoy it. I find it a meditation. So it's not really an imposition. I can go out there and run three, four, five, six hours. Is it physically hard? Yes. But mentally, I've got this huge, idiotic grin on my face, regardless. Um, I wouldn't be doing I've it. Seen that. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. Um, the real question then becomes, what are the sacrifices that everybody else surrounds me make? Because um, what's, what's the old joke, right? Behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. Um, <laughs> Uh, my my wife is utterly bemused by the entire thing. Uh, it's the sacrifices that I ask of everybody else around me that, that really sort of that feel bad in many ways. Um, I'm asking my wife to say, hey, you know what? On a Sunday morning, you're not going to see me until midday um, because I'm out running for five, six hours. Uh, it's not being there maybe even for my kids, which does that make me a bad parent? Ooh, I don't know. Does it? I don't know. Uh, seeing, your, seeing your father um, actually competing out there and doing, he doing healthy things and being outdoors, uh, I think is a positive thing, but also not being there on weekends. What about you? Because are you a father? Sorry. Are yes, a I'm father? a father. So, my daughter you... is 12 years old now. Okay. But so... all my family support me and they come with me to races and I have a great support from them. But even I have long hours like him, especially in the weekends. I have long hours of training, work in between sometimes also because I work from Monday to Sunday. 
and even I, I'm really if I'm really tired, I just have a nap for an hour and just go out with the family. I make that sacrifice that I have to go out with the family. So everything, course. not just sports only. Yeah. If it's sports only in life, it's not nice. Also. No, it's a balance. So, exactly yeah, that. You need to go out with family, have a meal, or even with friends. Every. Let me ask you. I got one question. I mean, we. I could talk to you both for hours but I have one last question for both of you and it's relating to something that you said Yosef my question to you is you mentioned that you were driving in the car with your wife and your daughter and you passed the bike shop and you asked them to stop and you got out and you bought a bike yes. what happened in that moment to make you do that I was 30, I said I will slow down a bit from work, which I done actually, and I wanted to do something. If I slow down from a bit from work, um, my drinking will, <laughs> will go to the next level. <laughs> so I needed to start. But even I like to take care of myself. Um, I was gaining weight, but I was not overweight, never in my life, so... But I was gaining weight, actually. And so I wanted to lose weight also from that side. I wanted to look good. Well, you, you <laughs> succeeded, dude. Absolutely. Um, but, but I was never obese or anything like that. But, but the reason I ask is because that point, that moment changed the course of your future yes it you changed got out, a lot yes. you went and bought a bike actually my daughter never remembers me smoking because at that time she was only one year and a half or two years for you your last question adrian you we spoke you said the your dnf was that you you stopped you had something upset in your stomach you're on the mountain you start throwing up you have to pull out of the race now, you've gone through all of that training. You've put in all of that work. How do you decide, okay, this time I'm going to quit. This time I'm going to stop and I'm going to save myself for the next race or this time I'm going to call it a day? Yeah, it's never an easy decision. Um, honestly, uh, <laughs> oh my God, I'm, I'm saying this on a podcast, but here we go. Um, I was, I I was going to try and keep running, but... I looked like a sprinkler system at one point. Oh, that's nice. It happened to me. Yeah. I'm like, ah, there's a couple of campers. I wonder if I can leave them a little present. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reached a stage where, um, you know, have some Coke, put some Coke in you. That'll settle your stomach. I had half a Coke and it was time to head back to the, uh, to the lavatories. Yes, listeners. Uh, <laughs> hope you're enjoying this. Uh, yes. I, so uh, that, that was when I realized, you know what? Uh, I was dr the blood was draining from my face, and I mean it, it wasn't an easy decision to take uh, at all. Uh, but like I said, the opportunity for failure is always there. It's it's not about the failure; it's about the ability to pick yourself up and you know dust yourself off and get up and do it again. Uh, ultimately, like I said, there's more failures uh, in my life than there are successes. But each failure was the building block on which I built all of my successes. That's 
just the way it goes. Gentlemen, you are both an absolute inspiration for very, very different reasons, but both are incredible sportsmen. I want to thank you for being on this last podcast. I want to thank you for sharing your stories. I want to thank you for being so brutally honest. Yosef about your smoking and Adrian about your poop. Um, <laughs> and I'm really wishing you the very, very, very best. Final question. Next race... Are you going to be wearing aviators? Always. The past uh, four, five years, I always wore an aviator. Even if it was raining, I wore it, actually. Are we going to see you wearing people... aviators? I've, I've got a pair of aviators at home, a, a classic pair. I might just put them on just for... You see, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but even uh, when I wear them, I get a lot of support during the course. Oh, so you do it for the cool factor, huh? No, no, no. It's... No, he does. <laughs> Gentlemen. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the interview. Thank you so much for being so inspirational and sharing your stories on this podcast. Cheers, Trudy. Cheers, thank you.